Okay, give a chance for folks to fill in the pews. Could you uh, roll to the next slide, please? Thanks. Okay, this is, um, I haven't run into a bad passage in the Bible yet. This is one of the better ones. Um, as we finish up chapter 3 in Philippians and roll into chapter 4 at the beginning. So, brethren, join in imitating me and mark those who so as you have an example in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our commonwealth is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. One of the things we'll come back to is, but I'll tell you now, um, is in one. If you count how many times Paul tells them he really cares about them. That's like five times in one verse. That's the depth of Paul's afflict, afflict, affection, not affliction, affection for the Philippians. And that's an interesting challenge. One of the commentators uh, points that out and says, hey, maybe we ought to think about that being the depth of our affection and care for one another, that we should be able to say that about other people here in the body of Christ. Because that's sort of the, that's not the abnormal, that's the norm. Okay, so back up into verse 17. Brethren, join in imitating. So how does one follow the example of another? That word there that's imitating <coughs> is an interesting one. It isn't just copying. The word actually, if you see that, the Greek word, which I put in your notes, simimides, sim means together with. So it's imitating together with. One of the ways that we follow other people's example is we do it together. This is a it's a theme we've hit Philippians and we'll continue to hit it again and again and again because Paul does, is moving together with others, is life in the body. And one of the ways that we follow good examples is we do it together. We can talk among one another and point out, you know, Dallas's energy, for example. Um, now, there may be other things about Dallas you don't want to imitate, like the marine part. But, but his energy, um, his dedication to the cause of Christ, those are things that we should imitate. Uh, Dave Duhadway's depth of devotional life. Uh, there are others, and I could point out others, but, but uh, those are things that we need to be alert for. So why human examples? It sounds awfully arrogant, and I'm sure it probably jarred each one of us as we listened to Paul say, imitate me. Well, we in our culture would think that was pretty cheeky. Uh, I wouldn't, probably would never tell anybody, imitate me. Um, but what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's really at bottom line what he means. Imitate me insofar as I follow Christ, you take that and follow it yourselves. Uh, because imitating others gives us Christ in human form. It takes Christ, moves him into 20, it doesn't move him into 2017, he's already here. But it enables us to see what it looks like to be Christ in the world in 2017, and that's one of the values of, of actually being able to follow people. 
So in verse 18, there's a couple sad verses here. Uh, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That is a label uh, none of us really wants to have, to live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Is Paul talking to people in the church or outside it? Not, Not really terribly easy to tell, but I'll speculate some. The fact that he's talking with tears suggests it's people he's close to and cares about and whose situation saddens him, which would suggest it could be people in the church. However, their end is destruction, and I'll talk more about that in a a little bit, suggests that it's not people who are believers. So it's wheat and tares. It could be wheat and tares. That you have a church like ours where there are lots of people, but just like being in a garage doesn't make you a car, so being in a church doesn't make you a Christian. There could be people, there are people, I'm sure, among us, perhaps in this room, but certainly in the church at, at large, who haven't yet come to the point of faith in Christ. And so I think Paul here may be talking about folks who are in the church but not of it. It's a good thing for us to bear in us. So if we haven't come to that point of actually turning our lives over to Christ and surrendering to him, whether old or young, we need to make sure that we've done that. The word there that's used is enemies. It's not just debating partners, people who think, "Eh, there are things I disagree with about Christianity and sort of that level of disagreement. No, this is haters, people who by their lives, if not by their words, live in direct opposition to the cause of Christ, Um, haters of the cross. And the the next section there, their end is destruction, their God is the belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their end is destruction. That word end means a termination. Um, And the word destruction is absolute and utter ruin. Think of a pot dropped on a marble floor that shatters into a thousand pieces and will never be put back together again. That is the word that's used there for destruction. And we've, in our church, we have some folks who feel that that, uh, the end for non-believers is a period of punishment and then uh, extinction. I think, uh, I don't think that's the case, and I think that this is a, a reason for it. That word that's destruction there, that would be a com- that is a comforting thought for those of us who have lost folks close to us who, so far as we know, were not believers. And I wish that were true. I just don't, I'm just not at all sure that it is. From, to me, from Scripture, that word that's destruction is not a loss of being. It's not like we aren't anymore. It's a loss of well-being. It's eternal misery spent apart from Christ uh, in hell. And what's hell? Anywhere where God isn't. So two things that I draw from that. One is I need to be more motivated. Um, and I think of guys like, like uh, Chuck or Bob Fimiani who are more outward focused than I am in terms of seeing people come to Christ. Uh, I need to be motivated that way because this is not an end I want to see anybody in. Okay. Uh, the other thing is if any of us is not yet there, that's the end that awaits us. God says, you know, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. 
and those who find it are few. Make sure you're one, just like the Battle of Britain, make sure you're one of the few. Okay. They glory in their shame. And folks who, who find themselves in this position of opposition to, to Christ, and we see it in our culture a lot, as people historically have seen it, we take that which God says is bad and we make it good. We take that which the scripture says is inappropriate and we make it appropriate. And we say not only is it good to tolerate this, we need to exalt it. And so they glory in their shame. Mindset on earthly things. Guilty. You know, guilty a lot, of, a lot of the time. Perhaps some of you are too. It's not that we don't think about Obviously, we think about going to work each day. We think of, well, I don't. Um, <laughs> did I, I seem to mention that every time. I don't know why. Um, but, you know, we think about things that occupy our time. I understand that. Family, friends, those are all good things to think about and necessary things. But am I so focused on the things here that I find my reward here, I find my focus here, Christ is a Sunday activity at best. And that's what I need to be careful of and to avoid. But our, now let's get to the more positive part. So we've done this adverses in, 17, in 18 and 19. Let's get to the positive part. Our commonwealth is in heaven. So the commonwealth of Virginia, so to speak, our citizenship is in heaven. We are colonists here. N.T. Wright, one of the commentators who writes on Philippians, um, refers to us as colonists. Philippi, you may remember back from uh, the early part, the introduction to the book, Philippi was a Roman colony. After the end of the, now I get to tell you this because I really like it, um, the Roman Civil War, one of the Roman Civil Wars uh, between Augustus, Caesar, and his triumvirate, and the conspirators against Julius and their triumvirate, the culminating battle was at Philippi. And so the victorious armies after that battle, many of them were settled here to make a Roman colony. And the point of that, the reason it carries over to this, is our commonwealth, our colony, we're not of this world. Our allegiance is elsewhere. But we're colonists here, just as in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul talks about the fact that we're ambassadors here. We need to be making more colonists need to be bringing people into the colony, and we need to adequately represent the one for whom we are an ambassador. Remember, we answer to him, not to uh, the area in which we live. Do you know, by the way, that an ambassador ranks above uh, any cabinet officer? He, speak, he stands in place of the president. When you're in his country, he stands in the place of the president. It's interesting. So do we. We stand in the place of Christ as ambassadors for him. And it's a tremendous responsibility. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And that's pretty remarkable. If you think about all the things that Christ in his glorious body did, could do, and we only get little glimpses of it right at the end of the Gospels and early in Acts, you know, ascend into the air, appear and disappear at will, um, eat fish, so, you know, it still has a physical corporeal body. But whether or not we'll have those characteristics, don't know. But we know that the power that Christ used 
as the instrument of the Father in creating the universe, that same will be involved in transforming us. So all those, and I know that as you look forward to eternity, you don't have to look forward to arthritis, which, which I do a little bit. I don't look forward to it, but I got it. Um, or any of those, those maladies that afflict us. We can look forward to an eternity in a glorious body. But of course, that isn't the point. What's the point of eternity? Remember that I said that hell was any place without God? Heaven is with God. The point of eternity, the point of heaven, is God himself. Our eternity is focused on him, has to be focused on him, not on any experience that we might be able to enjoy. The other thing is, too, if you think about Buddhism and Hinduism, how do they talk about eternity? They talk about when you finally achieve nirvana, it's sort of like you're a drop of water in the ocean of God, whatever that is. You know, sort of a very impersonal um, Godhead. That's not us. Our glorious bodies, I think, from my point of view, it's like we're each coins. And we're all different coins, but we're all stamped with the face of Christ. And we, in unique ways that no one else could duplicate, will represent Christ for eternity and all form part of that, of his body, as we work together and display him to the universe. Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Gosh, he cared about him. <coughs> that word crown, I put it in your notes, it's called Stephanos. It comes from a word that means to encircle. And it was the victor's crown that with leaves or with gold imitating leaves was given to those who won public games. So a crown is something that's given as a mark of distinction. <coughs> And here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul refers to the Philippians as his crown. He'd invested so much in them, and his, his joy in them was so great that he regarded them as sort of a, think of, we still use the word today, a crowning achievement. Not in himself, because of what Christ had done through him in making them that for him. And remember what the elders do before the throne in Revelation. What do they do with their crowns? They cast them before the feet of Christ, before his throne. So, and I think the Philippians for Paul were that, uh, same with the Thessalonians. And same with us as we invest in other people, that those are crowns, not for our glory, but for Christ's glory, because the accomplishment is not ours, but his. My beloved... This really, this struck me, and it, it may not mean a lot to you, but it certainly did to me. Paul, in talking about the Philippians as his beloved, he not only loves them, but by the act of loving them, proclaims them worthy of love. God does the same to each one of us who are his. He not only loves us, he says, because he considers us worthy of love that we are, it transforms us from that which we think we might be, not very worthwhile at times, you know, subject to human frailties and disobedience. And he says, 
You are worthy of the love of the God of the universe. And I give you that, and I transform you for all eternity for that reason. So easy to forget that. <clears throat> but I think that we as, as believers have to bear it in mind because it influences how we interact with other people. Each of the folks with whom we interact is now or potentially worthy of the love of the God of the universe. So think of that on the beltway or on the parkway as you're way to, on your way to work, that you're interacting lovingly with thousands of people who are worthy of being loved by the God of the universe. Maybe stay off the horn a little bit. So that's a good thing. Stand firm. Next slide, please. This. Why is this here? Well, it's here because I like it. Okay. <clears throat> Anybody but Bill Sanders know what this is? This is the last stand of the 44th. This is the 44th Essex Regiment in 18, January of 1842, a place called Gandamak in Afghanistan, <coughs> at the end of the first Afghan war. Well, not quite the end. Um, as you can see, things are not going well, um, and they are about to uh, be overrun by the Afghans. The Afghans, who were notoriously fickle, um, supposedly shouted to uh, the, this little group of survivors and said, if you surrender, we'll treat you honorably and you'll live. And one of the sergeants said, Bill, and he was right in two cases. One, it wasn't likely they were going to surrender, and it wasn't likely that they would be allowed to live if they did surrender. Why do I put this up here? Stand firm. The good news for us is the bad guys don't win. God wins. But our job is to stand firm. Okay, could you roll to the questions? I'm going to do questions one and three and then go back to two. So whose example am I following? Is there somebody around me who I should be following? Have I reflected on the characteristics of those around me and decided, yeah, I should be following that example? How can I do that? Well, I get to know them. I can do a formal mentoring if I'd like. Um, Greg Wade has put a lot of work into putting together a formal mentoring program. But even if you don't want to do that, just get together with them. Figure out how they act and react in certain circumstances and what you can do to imitate that. And then the last one, and this is the one I didn't want to put up there because it bothers me. Uh, Paul warns us against those who pander to their own wrong desires. Those whose God is the belly, remember? And in pandering to myself, fixing my mind on earthly things. Now the second one. This is from that same section, mindset on earthly things. Are there areas in my life, strongholds, in which I seek forgiveness without striving toward obedience? It happens with purity. It happened with me, certainly. It still does occasionally. Perhaps with anger. Areas where I stumble... I fail, I say, God, forgive me, without any real attempt to correct the behavior that went into the incident in the first place. You're not alone if, if that's the case with you. So if there are, think about what those, that area might be and talk to somebody about it. Again, you're not the only one this has ever happened to. Uh, and I guarantee you there are people in this room who ha are in the same situation. So tell somebody about it. Okay.
I am going to turn it over to you. Thanks.